for more on this, we're joined by senior international correspondent Ronnie Chang, everybody. Thanks, Trevor. I remember kind of the whole, my whole day was a write-off. The weeks leading up to it was like a write-off. Just thinking about this five minutes I had to perform for the first time. in San Francisco and Australia. Am I crazy for wanting to do this? Am I am I bad at my job because I, I ate, ate shit in this room? And then you talk to other people who are like, oh, you're crazy too, you wanna do this too. And you figured out how to do it and you figured out how to make money from this. Oh damn, how can I do that? It's cool to have you, you have, you have my old gig. I do, I do have your old gig. And I think that honestly helps you deal with diversity so much more because if you don't have that community. There's a lot of external noise here. He's like, get on with it, funny man, you know. So all this external noise from people who don't get it, like that can, that's mental adversity, right? Welcome to the Toughness Podcast. My name's Paddy Steinfurt, your host. Uh, we're in for a fun episode today, or it better be fun, because we've got our first comedian on as a guest. Most of you would know him as a regular on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, uh, but he has starred around the world, sold out his own show. He's got his own Netflix special start in a blockbuster movie, Crazy Rich Asians. Welcome to the show, Ronnie Chang. Thanks for having me, Patty. Good yeah, to see you again, man. To... Haven't, haven't seen you in a while. It has been a while. Yeah. We met, we met the first time in a comedy club in New York City where you were applying your trade. And I ha- yes, happened sir. to get there late enough that I was stuck in the front row. And you just tore me to shreds because you asked around the crowd. And you're like, hey, who's from where? And I was from Melbourne and off you went. <laughs> really? I don't even remember yeah. that, man. I we have very different we have different <laughs> recollections of that what's night. Your, I don't remember what's yours? I don't mine was uh I was doing a show and then uh I guess it came up that you are from Australia and um I said I was from Australia and I don't think you believed me and I was trying to prove <laughs> that I was how Australian I was. And and um, the thing in New York is uh, whenever I meet Australians, it, I'm always like, I don't know, I always I always try to like connect with them a little bit more because um, I did live in Australia for ten years. I went to law school in Australia. My wife is Australian, so I actually I, I actually know more about Australia than they think because of you know how I sound and how I look. Um, like deep cuts, Australian deep cuts. Like I know, I know Melbourne suburbs. I know where to get. You know, I I I've, I've toured around Australia. I've toured country towns, like uh, like all around the co- everywhere around Australia, around uh, the coast, like three sixty degrees around Australia. And, as you were um, coming up as a comedian, you mean doing like yeah, shows yeah. and stuff. So whenever I see Australians in New York, I'm always uh, trying to connect to them and connect with people who in australia i wouldn't even look twice on on the street they said (laughs) hi to me i'm like i don't don't care about you but in new york it's like yeah (laughs) we're friends we should be friends facts we're like i I like to say to people like a little immigrant community in new york it's not but it kind of is in the sense that like it's a little it's a little community and and you're probably right i do remember you saying you're from australia and i was like yeah i don't know you haven't got the accent yeah, plus I look you're, you're, like I, I, I'm not white. You're like, who the, who the hell is this? <laughs> exactly. No, yeah. Um, and I remember you saying that you were like a pro athlete. I can't remember if it came up before or during the show or after the show because you came to hang during. out. Because you oh, said, what do came... you do for a living? Oh. And I told you. And off we That's went. what it is. That's what it is yep. because, because I really have genuine respect for any professional athlete of any sport. So if someone says they're a professional athlete, um, immediately I'm like, oh, I, I want to know more. I want to know, you know, what sport you played, how long you played it. And this is in the middle of a show, you know, and then you're talking about playing AFL and you're probably, you're like, you know, you don't know the teams. And I'm like, you don't even know, man. You don't even know how much I know about Australian rules football. I think it will probably, <laughs> probably went something like that. So. so being from, you were born in Singapore, right? Uh, born in Malaysia, yeah. Born in Malaysia, sorry. Yeah. You were born in Malaysia. And then you spent some of your childhood in Manchester, New Hampshire, where yeah. in a different period we might have crossed paths. What was it? New Hampshire Fisher Cats? Is the double-A baseball team there? They're like the Toronto Blue Jays second level. Oh, you worked there? That's that, cool. That was, yeah. that was my first baseball job. Um, oh, wow. And so grow, going through all of those moves as a kid, right? There's that. Yeah. Then there's Manchester, New Hampshire. Then there's, then there's Singapore. Melbourne. Then there's Singapore. And then, then there's, there's Melbourne. Australia. Then there's then New York. There's New York. Yeah. Those those moves, some of which I'm assuming weren't your choice. How tough were they to process, and did they actually help you trying to learn how to swim on the fly? 
what effect did that have on you as you grew up? Yeah, I, that's a good point, I guess. Yeah, moving as a kid, it was tough. It was tough because it was always, always the foreigner, always the foreigner. You, because and even now, it, but not, even now that's still the case. I'm always the foreigner, no matter where I go. But um, as a kid, you know, it's it's tougher because you don't know how to deal with it. So, like in America or in Australia, I'm considered like you talking to me right now. You, you're like, man, this is one of the most Chinese guys I know. You know, the way you talk and the way you, the way you think, but in, in, believe it or not in Malaysia and Singapore, I'm like the whitest guy in, they consider me as a foreigner there, you know, so always, always the foreigner. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think that, that kind of, yeah, it kind of makes you, I, I, you know, it it either breaks you or it, it, it kind of hardens you a little bit into, um, I'm never going to belong anyway. So whatever, just be yourself, you know, uh, or it makes you kind of, assimilate like i have to i have to be as similar to the people around me as possible as quickly as possible which was i guess as a kid that was kind of what it was but by the time i got to australia for university it was very much like like fuck all of you like uh, this is you know oh, i was gonna say that's not why how you got funny like some people yeah. make jokes to fit in uh, yeah i don't think so i think mine was no. out of anger mine was always anger <laughs> yeah mine was mine was joking out anger it was insulting people and like um roasting people and like pointing out stupidity or things where i'm like you guys do it like this this is the dumbest way you know so um i think i think my first couple years at university of melbourne i think i was very much like trying to assimilate into australia and then that quickly was like yeah this is dumb like not <laughs> like the the idea of assimilating was dumb not right. not the university or the country or the people i'm just saying the idea of like trying to get these people to like you by being trying different. to show them no by trying to show them how similar you could be yeah, to yeah, them yeah. is just you know and then I think that slowly developed into this mental toughness of like, like I don't need to adapt to society. <laughs> and then that's how you become the Joker, right? <laughs> As in the Joker from the movie, you become this crazy, you become this crazy villain. So yeah, that's, I think, yeah, I never connected to that, but yeah, I think there is a element of moving around and, and, and um, being forced to assimilate and then, realizing that you can be your own person is fine. And yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think a lot of that is, even if you didn't move around, I feel like a lot of people kind of find themselves in their 30s anyway, you know? So I don't think I'm, I'm not trying to say like it's anything special, you know? Mm. That's just my particular journey towards finding yourself. But you could be Australia your whole life and then find yourself when you're 30, you know? You know, Australia, yeah. even if you're a white Australian guy, there's plenty of subcultures already you know what i mean like country the like maybe you come from wollongong and then you move to melbourne city and then you fall in with hipsters and then you decide hipsters are lame and then you become your own person you know there's you can do that even without leaving your country for sure for sure you, you mentioned two types of adaptability there that, that i think are really important and particularly for some of the people who listen who might be forced to move for their jobs whether it's their jobs or whether their parents are moving or their family's moving yeah. is the, the adapting to different circumstances. So like, all right, I'm in a new country and how am I going to get along here? And you, you moved to New York city. I've moved to New York city. That's a whole experience in itself, right? Just trying yeah. to, where's the shit apartments? Which yeah. landlords are going to screw me? How like, do I write up? a check? Who the hell, <laughs> exactly. you, who the who hell uses, uses paper checks? checks? It's ridiculous. New York city. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. there's all these things that you adapt to from a yeah. logistical point of view, but the initial impulse, and this is a great, point that you made is that it doesn't necessarily happen just from moving when you go to a new high school or when you go to your first college class like some people adapt by changing their personality what you've described a second ago i heard anyway was you learn not to adapt yourself you just worked out like this is who i am and i'm going to be this and yeah, everything and, else and will work and, out yeah be yourself and but and and um obviously adapt yourself to the situation yeah but not uh, not change. You don't have to change who you are intrinsically, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly relevant to army personnel and their families and et cetera, who all have to travel and change cities every two years. It's, uh, it's brutal for some of those people. Here, here's how I look at it. I know I just sound very negative about Australia right then about, you know, I don't have to change for, and I never felt the need to assimilate, you know, have an Australian accent or whatever, but the honest truth is if you ask me where I feel at home, I feel at home everywhere. I, I really feel at home in Australia. I feel at home in Singapore. I feel at home in Melbourne. I feel at home in New York City. So 
the the kind of fuck you attitude I was describing before doesn't come at the expense of actually getting to know the place you're in and loving it and finding the joy in the local stuff and not just, you know, moving to Australia and just eating Singaporean food or, you know, like actually loving Australian meat pies and watching <laughs> AFL and, go, but just not feeling the need to uh, like change the way I talk or how I think or whatever. So, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying for people who are moving around a lot, I would say there is a lot of, it is, you can get a lot out of um, in ingraining yourself into that local country, you know, it, it make it actually a part of you as opposed to being like, you know, screw this place. I am who I am. I'm American. I'm Australian. I don't want to be Lebanese. You know, I don't care, but I'm stationed in Beirut. So, but you know, there's something really cool when you meet people, isn't that the coolest part when they're, that's why I was trying to connect to you. Cause you didn't expect me to be Australian, but I, mm-hmm. I know a lot about Australia cause I freaking came up here. So, and and I when I was when I was trying to connect with you about Australia, it was coming from a lot of love. You know, it was like, yeah, man, the uh, you know, I'm I'm I lived in Carlton for ten years. I support the Carlton Blues, like whatever it is. You know, so what I'm saying is that you can be yourself, but also um, there's a lot to be gained from knowing uh, the country that you are based in as well. When you move, you know, like finding the, yeah, the yeah. joys in that country and, and it, it carries with you. It, it, it carries with you wherever you go. Even if you don't see it then when I moved, I hated it, you know, but when I, when I left, I was like, man, there was, it, there was so much from there that I carry with me, you know, the food, the, the knowledge of the cuisine, the, when I meet other people from there, you connect with them, you know? And so, yeah, I, I would say don't, you know, don't, it's a very nuanced point, but I wasn't trying to say, you know, screw, the place be yourself. I was tr- I was trying to say you don't have to change yourself to enjoy, the, you know, to be at home in a in any location. But part of the fascination for me, particularly once I learned a little more about how you'd ended up in New York, you know, it's it's not like you just blew up overnight though, right? Like when was your first ever comedy set back in Australia? Is where you started, right? You went to the same university as me, University of Melbourne. Oh, you're a Melbourne Uni boy. Yeah, yeah. They, I, I think am a that Melbourne probably- Uni boy. That probably came up as well. That's why we connected. Yeah, Melbourne yeah. Uni guy, and um, my first comedy set was at Melbourne Uni. So there you go. Right. Like March two thousand nine. So not that long ago. Right. Uh, so very, so you- very much a baby in comedy terms. Um, and I did that set. It was the it was actually the Melbourne Uni like campus comedy competition, and um, I I did it, and I, I actually I actually won that competition, and and then um, I. Th- I don't know. I just got the bug for it. And then I started doing gigs in Melbourne city, just around town. Um, and my whole thing, my whole mindset was when I was doing gigs was I wanted to perform to complete strangers. I, I, I didn't want my friends right from almost from day one. Uh, after that first gig, which was the university campus comedy competition, I did invite friends, but after that first gig, my whole thing was I never wanted to just perform to friends. I didn't want to be like, a, a, I didn't want to open a shop that only sold to people I knew. You know, I wanted to, yeah. be able to perform to people who had no idea who I was. So, so you were doing um, it in secret? Like you were like, you were a, a student, mild men and student by day and you would sneak off and do a comedy gig at night? I mean, I don't, I don't think I was doing it secretly. I mean, I think I was just <laughs> doing it. Uh, but essentially, yeah, I mean, that's all comics will have uh, you know, their daytime life and then all the gigs are at night. So I guess in a way, what you're saying is accurate, but it, I definitely wasn't like secretly. I just didn't make a big deal about it. I just wanted to yeah. build up the skill set. I wanted to build up the skill set more than talk about doing it. You know what I mean? Rather than just like, oh, hey, I'm doing stand up now. I wanted to actually um, uh, uh, get good at it and perform and, and see if I could do it to people who had no emotional um, investment in my well-being at all, you know, <laughs> as opposed to friends who are there to support you. I wanted to be able to kind of make strangers laugh, basically. Yeah. So. The reason I thought it would be really cool to talk to you, not only because of your very interesting journey, but specifically because this this career is a very tough one, right? The, it's a toughness podcast, but this isn't your typical type of, you know, grit your teeth and get strong or be an athlete and come back from injury. Like, you put yourself out there on the daily and I don't mean just a daily show, but literally like every day that you perform, you go up there and the number one fear in the world of human beings is public speaking. So first of all, you're not even like, that's pretty tough to just do that in itself. But not only that, you've got that extra weight of, Hey, while you're doing it, make me laugh, funny guy. 
And yet you do that every single day for a living. Like at what point did you, did it go from being like, oh, that was cool. I, I kind of did that thing and I won the competition. I'm going to like enjoy this. And then it, you, like, when, did it, when did it get hard for you? Or did it ever? Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, first of all, I want to say this is, that's a very interesting angle for discussion because no one's ever kind of approached me to talk about it from that angle, which is why I want, I felt interested to do this podcast. Um, and se- secondly, I also want to make clear that like, yeah, yeah stand up is tough, but I also feel like everyone's job is tough. So I, I, and I mean that sincerely, I think there's lots of tough, way tougher jobs with way higher stakes, you know? Um, so um, I, I don't want to put on a pedestal like that. Um, I do agree that there are elements of, um, yeah, mental toughness that you have to um, build to do this job, right? Um, for many reasons, you know, I think um, uh, just uh, going on stage and then also dealing with the fact that this is the kind of job that doesn't, is most likely not going to pay well, you know, unless you're very lucky and you get good opportunities and you're really good at it. Um, and so being able to deal with even that side, you know, just the the, the toughness to continue in a f- profession that is kind of weird and might not have a financial payoff and the pressures that society might put on you. So there's that, th- both sides of the, right? Mm-hmm. On stage and off stage mm-hmm. toughness you need. But uh, to answer your question, was it ever tough? It's always tough, you know? Um, I still find it hard. Um, it's definitely gotten easier over the years, but there's still a degree of difficulty. I don't think anyone kind of goes on stage without that adrenaline rush or that the the idea that this is going to be hard because that makes you kind of prepare for it right if you if you go on thinking ah this is going to be easy i don't need to prepare then i i feel like for in my case i feel like you just kind of um take the audience for granted and then you become a bit indulgent so i think the difficulty the the feeling of difficulty is what makes you prepare and take it seriously um, right and i i think your question was did i ever find it hard yeah i remember the uh, right when from, did it go when did it go from being like oh that's cool i did this thing that i wanted to do and i was good at it to shit this is actually this is tough like it's not oh, it's not just no, like it was always tough it was always yeah, tough even your from first the, one. Oh, first one was, was probably the toughest the first one was the toughest and you know it it's it's kind of like a it's got just like everything it's got ups and downs so first one was extremely tough because you've never been on stage before you know what you're doing i remember kind of the whole my whole day was a write-off the weeks leading up to it was like a write-off just thinking about this five minutes i had to perform for the first time um you know just at home i c- couldn't do anything i was just trying to practice that, that thing and i was like well, what's gonna happen you know so um extremely anxious that before that first time and then you do a good gig you get a bit of confidence and then you know the next one you're like okay i think what i did before work i'll just do it again and then that gives you confidence and then inevitably you'll have a bad gig even though you did everything the exact same way you you, some you know uh, there'll be some other variable that goes wrong and you'll have a bad gig and then that will bring your confidence back down and then that kind of makes you go oh man i need to get better at this you know so it's always ups and downs ups and downs it's 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 very um yeah comedy is very stand-up comedy is very much just when you think you got it and you got it made and you have all the answers and then the next gig will be the one that um you kind of have a bad game, you know. I I I always liken it to sports a lot, um, which I think you'll appreciate. Which is like past a certain level of when you're a professional athlete, you're training and you're consistent, and you have more good games than bad games. But occasionally, you just have a bad game, and there's you know uh, there's nothing you can do about it because uh, the uh, there's so many variables in life performing. You know, the lighting, the the stage the the audience members the make of the audience like imagine just, just if just one variable let's just say lighting i i put it to you that doing a stand-up gig in a corporate boardroom under fluorescent lights with no stage will give you a very different vibe to a comedy club especially the comedy cellar where it's small mm-hmm. intimate low ceiling dark everyone's in the mood for it you know so what my point to that is just imagine that the, the different energy in those two rooms, um, but you're doing the exact same material. It could even be the exact same crowd, but just the time of day plus the fluorescent lights changes the whole vibe. And it, you know, you could kill it at the comedy cellar and then you go to this fluorescent lit corporate boardroom and it doesn't work. Yeah. And again, my point to all that is that, that that one little variable changes everything. So when you're doing a comedy set, whatever the variable is in the room that changes, you might have a bad gig part of the mental toughness aspect is like knowing that you did the work and that you've done this set 
nine times out of 10 and it works. And then this one time it didn't work and you don't beat yourself up over it, you know, and you go, okay, this is just one bad game. Let, let, let's play another game. Let's see if I still have this, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a kind of a delicate balance between believing in yourself, but also being self-aware about whether your material is working, right? Because you, you don't become um, the, the guy who's like, nah, it's you guys. You guys suck. It's the variables. Everything in this room suck. I was great. <laughs> and everything. And that's, that, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. Once you, once you think you're the best and that you, you know, if you're doing stand-up and no one's laughing, it's everyone else's fault. That's like a recipe for disaster. So you have to balance that with like the confidence of knowing like, yeah, you know what? This was, <laughs> this, this, this show was a write-off. Like I, there's nothing I could have done. Feel free to interrupt anytime because I, <laughs> I talk about this all the time. I love so it. I, I love it. Like this is, this is what happens. So I was talking with a couple of people who do my yeah. job for the special operations community in yeah. the army, literally two days ago on a zoom about yeah. their model for helping guys prepare for, and girls prepare for that level of, of stress in their job, right? right? They're training people to go out and be badass killers or defend lives right so sometimes some people might say it's more serious than what you and i do but the levels of stress that are induced are are similar that we end up just rolling so don't stress about i'm going to let you roll until i want to jump in of all those things you listed there you said your ability to um put in the work and be prepared your ability to have confidence as a result of like i've done this before your ability to accept the things that are out of your control but also be self-aware that if it is you screwing up and take some responsibility, there's all these different things, right? What are the the key things that make for a tough comedian, which usually I assume would lead to a successful comedian over time, right? That's a great question. I think a tough comedian, you'd even Mm -hmm. say funny comedian, you say a tough comedian, a tough comedian would be someone who genuinely can take the punches and, and, keep going. And that's such a hacky thing to say. I think it's from Rocky or something, but like, (laughs) but I think a lot of people, especially now, I think that it's very easy to say, I don't care what anyone thinks. I don't care what people think on social media. And I, I think a lot of people actually do care. You know what I mean? And I think that's their way of dealing with it. But if you're very honest with yourself, you go, look, this stuff does affect me. And if you're honest with yourself that it does affect you, instead of being that, you know, that I, I feel like 90% of humans now, they're like, I don't care what anyone says on, on Twitter or Facebook. And then they're the ones who are on Facebook and Twitter getting into arguments. <laughs> so, so meaning like you genuinely don't care, not, not, not just for show, but like you can take that criticism and you can, um, you can not let it affect you to a point where you can't perform. Right. I, I think someone told me some, a, a sound guy at the comedy store, Phil, the comedy store in Sydney, he gave me the best advice once when I was, he wasn't even a comedian. He, he told, he was a musician. And he told me like, when I was starting out, he said like being professional is, is knowing you had a bad gig and not being emotionally affected by it. Right. Cause once you start beating yourself up too much over it. And I think with comics, it's very easy to get into your own head with having a bad gig. Um, once that happens, that's when that's like, you can't, improve it it impedes performance right so you got the way you use the way you take bad shows and actually make use them to make yourself better is you can't let yourself get emotionally affected by a bad gig you know um which again that's a skill right that's a skill you build it's easier said than done very easy to say don't don't worry about these people don't don't worry about this show right that's that's very easy to say but to actually do it that's a skill that you and it's easy to, to say to. when you're sitting in your living room like talking yeah. on zoom right like talk to me yeah. about the first time you bombed yeah. Or the worst time you bombed. Give me one I of mean, those. I mean, man, I bombed all the time. I had, the, I can't even remember the number of times I bombed. I mean, the one, whenever I get asked this question in interviews, which is all the time, um, the one I Damn. always bring up was... I thought um, it was a good question. It is a good question for this podcast. <laughs> but I mean, I, that's one of the reasons I don't do podcasts. I keep ask, getting asked the same questions over and over again. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, um, the one that comes to mind is... I was in Bustleton, Western Australia, doing a music festival. And music Oof. festivals are tough. Like For those, even for your, those who you, don't know, Bustleton, uh, Western Australia, can we paint a picture here? Because this is like, I'm picturing a, it's like a mining town. There's just big guys with beards that are bigger than their heads. Well, you know, I've done, I've done mining towns. I've done, I've done um, Kalgoorlie. I've done like... <laughs> 
I've done like Darwin, uh, Alice Springs. Uh, what I mean, those aren't mining towns, but you know, like so what was pretty Bustleton, country towns. Right? No, but but here's the Bustleton is a country. It's like a West Coast beach country town. Okay. So so it's 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 West Coast Australia, very California like, except small town. But the difference here is that it's a music festival, so you're not gonna get the the rough around the edges guys. You're gonna get the hipster country guys so it's a bunch of guys with beards who are you know too cool for school and <laughs> anyway the, the, the thing about music festivals is that it's open air it's daytime you know it's not conducive for stand-up comedy which you stand-up comedy you need to pay attention to you know music you can be enjoying it legitimately while still talking to friends or using your phone but stand-up comedy if you're not listening you can't really get into it you know um so you know they kind of they, they they put us on and I, I did falls festival which is also a big music festival and that went okay you know in in victoria um i i did okay at that gig and then the next gig was bustleton um outdoor music festival daytime so i go on and you know like i said i've done this set I practice. It's not like my first time doing this set or my first time doing comedy. So I kind of know what I'm doing for that 10 minutes. I had a set prepared that was quite suitable for this kind of environment, which is just go, 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 go. You know, we're not talking. We're not that we're just going to go 10 minutes and get off. And it went well, you know, I like it was going well at other music festivals. So I do the same set. And, um, uh, at this particular gig, these, 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 uh, kids, these hipster kids were like, they start going boring, boring. <laughs> so I go like, uh, you know, they're like interrupting the gig. So I just, I, so I threatened to throw them out of the music festival, which I had no authority to do. <laughs> um, and so I'm like, telling the security guys, like, hey, if these guys keep making noise, we're just going to have to throw them out. And the security guys in, in front of the stage were like, we're not listening to you. You know what I mean? That, their faces were like, we don't, you have absolutely no authority here to throw anyone out. But, but the guys in the back didn't know that. So I just kept pretending like, we're about to throw these guys out of music festival because these are pretty expensive tickets right and it's like a you know it's like a closed off festival you get yep. thrown out you can't come back in so you don't you might not want to see me but there's probably some bands which you haven't come up yet so i threatened to do that and that shut them out for a little bit but then they kept they, they started booing again and so i just finished my set i completely just ate shit you know the whole set was just like just just silence or someone booing and then I, <laughs> and then i just got off i just said yeah you guys have been great and then i just got off and, <laughs> and then i think that night i slept on a table at the music festival and i think a security guard gave me a towel for a blanket yeah so <laughs> I, I slept on a, like a trussle table anyway I, I, was that I, if we were doing a movie of, of ronnie chang's life is that like the the low point where it was no. like oh, i gotta do something there Nah, nah, it wasn't. It was just one of those. It's you know one you take your licks. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, take yeah. your licks. And I think the thing I always say, which I think is relevant for this podcast, is I was a lot less experienced then, and I took it a little bit harder. But it wasn't devastating to me. But it would. I took it harder than I would now. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 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 way I look at it is. A, a lot of what you do in live performance is about feeling the energy. You can, you can feel the energy of the crowd. You can, and, and you can feel the energy of situations when you're dealing with other human beings. And part of being a tougher comedian, as you said, and being a great comedian is, is understanding what energy is happening and either adapting to it or not being anxious about it because you felt that energy so many times because you've done so many gigs. So for example, if someone's heckling in the crowd and you can feel the energy and you can feel the energy of, okay, is this the kind of heckle, which is you, you made a joke that's really funny and they're going like, yeah, we agree with you. That kind of heckle. So he's actually agreeing with you and he's shutting up. He's not like continuing to interrupt the show. He just had one moment of like, yeah, you're so right. You know, whatever, however that gets expressed, but the energy is, he, the energy is, he's, he's, he's positive. He's agreeing with you and he's going to stop. He's going to shut up because Mm -hmm. positive, even if he's positive, if he's interrupting the show, that's still bad. Right. And so that's the next type of energy, which is he's positive, but he's interrupting the show. And because you felt the energy before, because you know that that energy is, positive you don't go after him you just go yeah man yeah look i get it man let me just i got more jokes here. let me just keep going i know you <laughs> like that one you know so you know you don't you don't clash with him because you know that yeah, he's being yeah. positive then the third kind is the fucking you know he's trying to 
interrupt the show. And then that's when, when that happens, you either have to go and go downstairs and fight him or you have to get security to throw him out. But part of the job is knowing what energy, because if you get someone who is just saying, yeah, that's right. And he shuts up after that. And then you go after him, like he, like he insulted your mother. Like that's, you know, that ruins the whole thing. And that's because you didn't know what energy he was giving. And so that's one part, identifying it. And then the second part of the energy aspect is once you've experienced almost every type of energy that's possible, you're less anxious when you see it again, right? So yeah. when, you, when you experience the energy again, you're like, oh, I know what this is. I know what this is. And either I know how to deal with it or I know there's no solution here. And you just got to go. You, you, you take the licks and I know that at the end of this gig, everything will be okay. No yeah. one's going to die. We'll live to fight another day, you know? And so it, that experience of like, even taking a punch that like, yeah, okay, we're going to take this punch, but it'll be okay. You know, yeah. it's not the end of the world. It, I know why this gig is going bad. It's not me. It's, you know, and as you're you, describing you, that, it's bringing to mind this, uh, an analogy I often will use when I'm talking with uh, an athlete in particular or any other performer who's doing stuff where they might get in their own way, where it's like, there's an energy going on and some of it might create anxiety that's only bad if you then start thinking about that, right? And the, the analogy that I will use that usually bring, puts a grin on at least the young athlete's face is imagine you've just met someone at a bar and they're like a 11 out of 10, like the best looking person you've ever met. And you, you say a nice line to them and they respond positively and you get them a drink and it goes well and you go back to your place and you end up doing what adults do. And about two minutes in, it's going great. There's energy and you're like, hey, oh, hang on, let's just stop. How am I doing? Like after two minutes and the other person's like, oh, yeah, well, I'm fine. Keep going. Like this is good. So you, all right, you get back into it and then another minute goes past you, you stop again. You're like, uh, how is that okay? Like does that feel good? Like the, the over analysis is actually causing the problem as opposed right. to just like feeling the energy and acting on it. Dude, you are, such, you are it. such a jock. That's your example <laughs> you're going to use for energy is hooking up, man. It works. The, it, it works, but that is not the example I would have <laughs> But yeah, sure. Yeah, no, you're, there's, you're 100% right. I agree with you. But it's just hilarious that that's how you're going to express this. I'll think of a better one. I'll think of a better one. <laughs> you are such a pro athlete jock that you're going to bring this up to hooking up. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. It's the overanalysis that kills you. It's the oftentimes it's the if you tell the crowd that they suck, that's when they because, dude, they don't know that they suck sometimes. Sometimes they're like, yeah, this is. So, yeah, no, for real. Once you it's like it's like. um. It's like hi the Schrodinger's cat. Once you call out that it sucks, everyone's like, oh, this does suck. And then they made a way of it and it suddenly does suck. But yeah, yeah. That, that, that brings me to another point, which is that um, one of the things I did to, this isn't, I don't know if this is toughness. This is just about comedy was I was watching a lot of comedy when I was starting out. Sorry, I was performing a lot of comedy when I was starting out. And about three years in, I started watching it again, just as a lay person. I would go to gigs where oh. I wasn't performing and just watch it and watching it with the crowd. And then you gain, you know, what it, got, what it gave me was again, I gained a lot of empathy for what it's like to be in the audience of a comedy show again, which I kind of lost by just constantly performing. And, and what I got from that was like, man, you know, people have a long day, man. People have been working all day. You don't know what's happening in their lives. They could have something at home that's horrible, you know, or something that's ongoing right now. Text messages in their phone. That's a horrible fight they're having with someone. And they're just at a comedy show. They're there to, you know, listen to comedy, listen to you. And and so um, that kind of made me not only prepare better, but also have empathy for the crowd, which sounds dumb that it took me that long to realize that, but have empathy for a crowd. So instead of attacking them, you know, my style of comedy is pretty angry, but it kind of made me realize I should bring people, let's get angry at this thing together, as opposed to me yelling at the crowd and like, you guys suck. And, you know, because like I said, people have a long day. That's why I took umbrage when you said I went after <laughs> you in the crowd, because I kind of pride myself in when I talk to the crowd, it's never... I, I don't, I don't want to make them feel like I'm disrespecting them or, you know, making them feel like a piece of shit for coming to a show that, you know, I, I have a lot of, um, I think the respect goes both ways. I, I know I you're joking, that, but that's my, my no, but my. I think like what you've just said there, actually, like I'm running it back in my mind. I'm like, that's a great example of probably what I was doing. Cause I'm on like an early date with this girl and yeah. I'm sitting in the front row and you're doing your thing. I'm like, bro, fucking stop. Like, I don't want to talk about me. 
And it all was about what was happening inside of me as opposed to what you were doing or what other people were doing. Oh, and it's, right, right. It's really interesting like how you can get caught up in your own stuff and, and perceive a situation yeah, yeah. totally differently based purely on what's happening inside you versus what's really happening on the Sure, show. sure. It actually, like your specific example though, forgetting about me being a dick in the crowd, your specific you example. You a dick though. I don't think anyone was a dick. That's why. I don't think anyone was a dick. But anyway. Um, the specific example you use there is what some people refer to as the expert's curse in some instances. Like if, if I've been a junior soldier and I've gotten through buds in the Navy SEALs and then I become a trainer and I have zero empathy for what these dudes are doing, going through as I'm trying to drown them, then that's actually like a problem of leadership at times and it's definitely a problem of human connection. But it often doesn't help us give ourselves compassion. We're going to jump in a second to you coming over to America and then there's opportunities and things that come up that cause what I occasionally refer to as the sweaty palms moment. Now, you said your first first gig was like a whole day, a whole week, a whole month, right? But there's this quiet 10 seconds or five seconds or two minutes where it's like, oh, shit, we're actually going to do this. By the time you get to that, you can't, it's going to be worse if you stop than if you keep going. But your body knows shit's about to happen. It's like heart rates up, breathing's down, sweating a little bit. All this stuff happens because your body perceives a threat. And without going into all that detail, it's that moment that often people will start to either realise, okay, I've got to do more to get ready for this. Or as you have said, as an expert learns to do is this stuff actually is just a sign that I'm ready and it helps me prepare, right? Sure. To talk to us about the first time you experienced that over here. Was it a different level of succeeding in Australia? It's, it's not easy by any means, but now I'm going yeah. to try and cut it against the world. So, so I always wanted to move to America to do comedy. Even when I was starting out in Australia, I was doing pretty okay in Australia. Like um, I was, you know, I was selling out some theaters in Australia. I could, I could, I can kind of sell at theaters all around the country, I think, you know, um, I was getting on TV a little bit, you know, Australian TV, there's not a lot of opportunities, but I, you know, people were always asking me to kind of guess in their shows. Uh, I actually had a sitcom here as well, you know, in, on the ABC in Australia. So I was doing okay here. Um, but I always kind of wanted to go to America because that's where all my comedy heroes were. Um, you know, I wanted to try to get as close to them if to see if I could even get close to them in right. terms of comedic ability, you know, um, and obviously you grew up here a little bit as well, right? Manchester, New Hampshire, yeah, a little bit, yeah, a little Manchester, bit. New Hampshire. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Um, so I always kind of wanted to go back. Um, and also bigger market, obviously economically, it's just a bigger market and comedy. You can, you can make more money in America. Um, so I always kind of want to go there and test myself, you know, and also, I feel like it would have been good for my career if, mm-hmm. if I could have gone to America, you know, and so I was going to move anyway. And I think how naive I was to think of moving without any, just from plan. scratch, just move it. Yeah. Without any plan to start from scratch, because uh, I think in comedy, there's a lot of hierarchy in, you know, and, and some, and I think we all, all the good comics pride themselves in that hierarchy of like grinding it out and getting, you know, slowly progress, get progressing to the ranks to better and better shows. And um, if you look, if you, if, if we take a step outside of that, it looks so, it's so dumb, but when you're in it, you're like in it, you're like, yeah, I need to do this open mic so I can get onto that open mic so that I can one day hopefully get onto this show that actually has real people who want to be here, you know? And, and so we, you play that game and sometimes you can get too caught up in it, but I'm just saying that's our world. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I was there and, um, uh, I was lucky that the, uh, I did a show with Trevor Noah in 2015 at Montreal, uh, sorry, in 2013, 2014, 2013 in uh, Montreal at just for laughs, um, I got invited to that festival, did a show with Trevor Noah. He really liked what I was doing. And then we didn't speak for two years because we, we just never communicated. But he remembered me. And when he got the Daily Show, he asked me to audition for it. He essentially got me on the show. I mean, I auditioned for the show and I was very nervous auditioning for it. But there was also an element of like, like yeah, this could definitely life-changing and I this would be my gateway to America and all that. But at the same time, it was like, you know, if if you're not good enough, you're not good enough. You know, like, I, I don't know. For me, 
I, I can't, I'll be disappointed. But at the same time, I'm like, I, I don't want to play on the NBA team if I'm not supposed to be there. You know, it, <laughs> I don't know. That's just my, that's just my philosophy towards it. So that helped me deal with the nerves, if you know what I mean. Because I'm like, damn, I'm like, I have all the, t- uh, I have plenty of time to prepare for this audition. The audition is you write your own segment and then you perform one of their existing segments and then you send a tape in. So that's a simple enough proposition, you know, and I'm like, man, if I can't even write a segment, maybe I don't even deserve to be on the show. Right. So I just wrote it and, you know, I based it off some of my standard material and I sent it in and they, they asked me for a second audition, same thing. And then the third audition was in the studio with Trevor. We did a chemistry test and um, um, everyone was there. That was probably the most nerve wracking one. Cause that's the first right. time I actually saw him. And then they would eat the executive producers were there. Comedy central executives cameras were there. and shit, the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Whole, in New York, yeah. it happened in everything was remotely done. And that, that one was in New York. I flew to New York just to do this, you know? And, um, um, but again, it's like, like the prep, you know, if you're prepped and you, you like it's, and you're, and you're playing yourself, like how can you fuck that up? Right. And, um, yeah, that's how I kind of, maybe in hindsight, maybe I was more nervous at that. Maybe, I don't know if I'm painting a rosy picture, but that was definitely my mindset of like, Hey, I, I, I was happy with my audition. So I'm trying to say if I was yeah. unhappy with it, maybe I'll have more regrets, but I was like, Hey, I laid it on the line here. And if I don't get it, I can, I guess I can live with that because what, what else can I do, right? I can't be someone else. Yeah, so, that's that's a key thing that like a lot of the time we will get to eventually if we're if I'm working with a performer as a performance coach and often the acceptance of what's the worst thing that can happen here? Like I've done everything I can and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's not because I'm – that doesn't make me a lesser person. doesn't mean I'm a failure. It just means this one hasn't worked, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that's like – to your to your quip earlier which is accurate like that's fine for you and me to say because like we're not going to die if we fuck it up yeah some some people do put their lives on the line they're protecting other lives they might be a surgeon they could be all sorts of jobs that have bigger consequences but often even talking with those operators it will come down to a point of like if you've done everything you can it's a acceptance is the key to actually being able to be in the moment as opposed to be caught up in what happens if, or have I done enough, you know? Exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I can get behind that, yeah. Is there someone, so you mentioned Trevor there, who obviously uh, you made some sort of impression on him and he gave you a great opportunity. Is he someone that you look at because of the level of success that he's achieved getting his own show with an actual name on it, uh, you know, his name on the title, but also um, being a, a quasi-international, you know, he's, he's kind of this hybrid guy to you you look at him as a as a hero and a mentor or is he like a more of a colleague and a friend yeah he's definitely a hero he's definitely a hero mentor like um he's my age i think he's maybe a few a year older i think um and no but i knew of him in the circuit so i was doing the australian comedy festival circuit and the edinburgh fringe festival circuit in the uk i was doing these two circuits for you know three or four years and um uh his name would he was doing the same circuit at the same time, but he was blowing up on that thing. You know, I was doing okay, but he was like, he was the kind of guy who went to Edinburgh from South Africa. Eddie Izzard was promoting him and he would go from literally the, the, the story is he went from like that small, typical Edinburgh festival room, 10, 20 seater, 30 seater. And by the end of the festival, he was in the biggest venue in Edinburgh, 1,500 seats, which is unheard of, you know? So he was kind of like trailblazing. And I think with comedians, like I always say like someone, oh, Alan, Alan Havy, this New York comic told me, he put it the best. He said like stand-up comics were in it for ourselves, but we're in it together, you know, because stand-up comedy is a solo sport. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, we, I think we, the, the guys who are good at it all relate to each other. Like there's no, I, and the way I say it is that with comedy, if you're a good comic, like there's envy, but there's no jealousy. 
you know, like there's envy. And, and the difference for me is like, envy is like when someone gets something good or when someone's doing something great, you're like, man, that's awesome. I wish I, wish I could get that, you know, how do, what do I have to do to get that, you know? And as opposed to jealousy, which is like, damn, that's great. I should have gotten that. He shouldn't have gotten that, you know? Right. I wish I got that. I wish he didn't get it, you know? And that's, that's different, right? It's, that's it's a cool like, distinction. Yeah, I think so. I think the jealousy thing is very negative, right? It doesn't help anyone. I, I, I think envy is can be motivational, right? So there was, I think there was an aspect of that. You know, I, I've seen him at work. I've, I, I've seen him work every day. It, it, he's, he's unbelievable. I've seen him, we, we toured Singapore together um, last year. Singapore is my home, like one of my hometowns. I, I lived there for 10 years. My, my parents lived there. My, uh, so, so I kind of felt like a responsibility. I tour there myself <laughs> sometimes. I felt a responsibility to show him around his first time in Singapore. So I went to Singapore and, and opened for him. And tried uh, to show if him I around. have to, if I have to show you around, is it one yeah. of those? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I saw him in Singapore. He did two shows. Um, and the context is he he had he was having a throat issue, a very serious throat issue. He couldn't talk. It, it's career threatening. Kind of a problem. Yeah. And he's <laughs> he's under doctor's orders. You have to shut up as much as you can. So the whole time we're in Singapore, he's using sign language. He's like, I, I want to eat that. You know, he's not even talking. He literally not talking. So I didn't hear him speak for the for the three days we were together. Zero sounds. And then the show starts and the first, so he, that's the first time I hear him talk. And he's talking about all this Singapore stuff, which I never heard him talk about because he was silent and he's making local references. He's joking about all these extremely Singaporean things and the crowd is loving it. So, you know, his ability to observe what's happening that yeah. day and make a joke about it that night unparalleled and then even more spectacularly the second show we did he did two shows that night the second show did a completely different set you know different material because he was just he was just figuring it out in his head and i was like oh, man you know i'm unbelievable i'm yeah. like blown away by that you see when you see you know a good sports person just play you're like man that is unbelievable you know you try yeah. to get to that heights you know uh, I, so yeah i, I mentioned I, him partly because like everyone knows uh, that you work with him and, and he's a very well-known comedian, but also like a lot of the times people who are getting to the level of performance that you've gotten to and some of the other people on this show in different arenas, we'll talk about someone who's, like you just said, very well and I'm going to butcher the line. We're in it for ourselves but we're doing it together. Like there's a, there's a camaraderie that exists between elite performers because there's a shared experience that not many other people can get, Right. And I, I've, I first stumbled on this by trying to work out why do athletes love military guys? There's, they're the only people that they, that they respect at the same level as maybe musicians. That's a good point. It, it's because they have this shared experience. It's very different, Absolutely. but they're the only people who know what it's like to be at that level and to deal Absolutely. with that sort of stuff, and, right? And to, really, to do your job for you, I can relate that back to toughness, which is... Go, I go think, ahead. I think, no, I think that helps with toughness right that helps you deal with situations is first of all talking to people who've experienced it so either you get another perspective on it that helps you deal with mental adversity or just just being around people who you can talk to who either don't ask you stupid questions because they get it or you talk about the issues in a relevant way so the same questions that we will get asked every single day about comedy either when you're hanging around people who do comedy, they don't ask you dumb questions or we'll talk about something that's in the news, but we'll talk about it from like a way where we're like, oh, we know because we do it. So we got the best perspective on it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so that helps you kind of deal with all this external noise because a lot of external noise here, you know, whether it's people who doubt your ability, whether it's people like yourself criticizing comedians <laughs> on stage, you know, doing their jobs, like get on with it, funny man, you know. So all this external noise from people who don't get it, like that can, that's mental adversity, right? Whereas when you're hanging around people who, as you said, people who are doing the same thing or people who are doing similar things, like musicians, I think musicians and comedians have that same thing, right? Mm -hmm. as, as, as you're saying about athletes and military people, they get it. And so we get the game, you know, we get the struggles and that's why the comedy seller is such a great place to hang out. So I don't know if you know this, but the reason people like people aspire to perform there and, and love hanging out there because the vibe is great. You can just sit at the table, you talk to other comedians, you know, maybe your comedy hero literally walks in the door that day, Chris Rock, Seinfeld, whoever walks in the door, sits down next to you, Chappelle comes in, sits down next to you and, you know, we're all peers. No one's like taking photos. No one's, it's just, 
it's like a country club for comedians. And I think that honestly helps you deal with diversity so much more because if you don't have that community, it's not only is a lonely trade, um, lonely profession, um, it's also, um, um, there's a lot of cycles. It's hard to get better, but there's a lot of cycles, man. If you hang out Mm -hmm. the wrong crowd, that can send you spiral spiraling. You know, if you hang out with the crowd that I'm, I'm not, even, I'm, I'm not even talking. I'm talking about comedians. If you hang out with other comedians who are, who are, you know, psychos, then it, it, you, you, you start to, you kind of become a product of the environment, right? If you're around people who are very angry and bitter, and who are negative, that can help a rub off on you. And then once you become angry, bitter, and ne- negative, I think that affects. Yeah. performance you know yeah. so yeah it's, i mean it's a great analogy i hadn't i had not thought of that so i've been in the comedy cellar once when i saw you maybe two or three other times i used to live around the corner from it and um and every single time there were high quality acts that's why i went as a person in the in the audience but there was often a surprise guest i got to see louis ck while he was on uh quasi layaway sure. and and it was just like he just walked in the same as you've described it's the same as like a player coming back from suspension and it's like everyone just like gets around him and that's that, right? And I hadn't ever pictured it until you've just said it like that. At what point did you recognise that that was an important thing for you to not only get into the community but also, as you've mentioned there, to not go off the deep end and to help you get better because you can talk about stuff and you don't have to talk about shit and do shit yeah. you don't want to. I mean, part when did of that, the... When did you realise that? Um... Yeah, like it's different in Australia. So we, I had that in Australia as well. And, you know, at that time, I've only really put it into words right five minutes ago that, that that's how it is. Because w- when I was coming up, it was about hanging around people who you could get along with. And I didn't realize, I didn't make that connection to men, like mental toughness or whatever. It was just like some people are psychos, just like any profession. There's people you don't like right? That you don't want to hang around with because of whatever reason, either they're weirdos or they, they are too negative or whatever the reason is, right? Um, of course, being weird is relative, but whatever, like you don't like them. Um, um, and in comedy, everyone's a weirdo. So, you know, we, we attract a lot of weirdos in this industry. Um, so it, I guess from, right from the start, I was never someone who, um, to give you a bit of background, comedy can become very clicky in terms of the rooms. So certain rooms in Australia, especially in Australia and Melbourne, but every city, this is why I find it funny whenever people complain about the politics of comedy. It's like every city in the world has its politics. You know, no one is special. No city is that special. But what happens is that when you start off in a comedy room, what happens is you, you feel allegiance to that room because it's where you started doing comedy. It's where you feel very comfortable. It's where the booker gave you opportunity, even if the booker is a crazy person. And it's the classic, like, you, you think that's the whole world when actually there's so many, there's a whole world out there of comedy countries and rooms. But um, what happens is that you get stuck into this, you feel like a tribal allegiance to this one particular room. And so for me, I never wanted to be like that. I wanted to be able to perform in every single room. So I would go into rooms and be polite as you should be, be respectful to the booker, be respectful to the room, always bring your A game. Um, But I wouldn't like, you know, become close friends and then go like, oh, this this room is the best. That room sucks. Those guys are clicky and they pay, play politics and they, you know, like I, di- I didn't want to get involved in all that stuff. I just wanted to do comedy. So um, I guess I, I kind of realized from the start that you don't want to be around people, being around people with a perspective, which I didn't like, wasn't good for you mentally. Cause it, they, it, they start drawing you into that drama. They start making you feel like seeing enemies, which aren't there. You know, so, so, um, that, that's my way of saying like, find the right people to hang out with, right. Find the right environments mm-hmm. to hang out with. I mean, I know that kind of goes against what I just said about the commie seller. Cause that's probably a click as well. But, um, I guess my point is like, be, uh, to answer your question, I was kind of aware early on that there was people with very negative mindsets and yeah. I didn't want to be around that. And so make sure you hang out with people who are, are with positive mindsets that you admire, you know, so that 
it helps your mental toughness, you know, it, yeah. it does. It helps. Yeah. You, you described there a, a, a couple of parts is the support, but also what you referred to earlier was the community of practice. They would say it in psychology is like, you can, you can be around people who do the same stuff. You admire them as people, you get along with them, but you also get to learn and share experience and, and that normalizes some of the shit that you're going through that otherwise you'd be like, yeah am i yeah am i crazy am i bad am i am i crazy for wanting to do this am i am i bad at my job because i i ate ate shit in this room and then you talk to other people who are like oh you're crazy too you want to do this too and you figured (laughs) out how to do it and you figure out how to make money from this oh damn how can i do that and then you you learn from that right or and also you learn like oh yeah that room sucks no whoever plays that eats shit and it's it's not you you know so (laughs) you know you get a little bit of you get a little bit of perspective. Yeah, sure, yeah. You know, yeah. The, uh, on last last thing, because we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up soon. I'm having a ball, but I know you've got to go and, uh, and no, enjoy please, yeah. Yeah. Sydney life, which I would <laughs> love to be doing. Obviously, one of the most important people who supports any person in a marriage is the other person. Now, you you met your wife while you were doing comedy, or she knew oh. you before comedy? Yeah, yeah. She is. I know. I met her in law school before oh, comedy. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we were dating before. Yeah, we were in. Um, we we met at Melbourne Uni Law School. Shout out Melbourne Law School. How much or little is she involved in supporting you through like the shit that you have to go through with? And I'm not saying it's a shit life. Like it's it's no, not no, a bad life. I know. But, I know what you're you know, saying. The, the grind yeah. and the, yeah. the travel and all that sort of stuff. Because the same thing happens with um, athletes, whether it's an Olympian or a pro sport uh, college athlete. They all have to make sacrifices and that I live a normal life, right? Yeah, I know. That's uh, a great question. Yeah. No one's uh, ever asked me that. Because yeah. some of the partners of the pro bowlers that I work with, right, are just totally like, you got to do your thing. I don't want to even know about football. Like, just, I'm not even going to go to the game. Whereas there are others who are like, all about, I'm going to get the wives together. We're going to do this. We're going to do that, right? <laughs> Where on that spectrum does your wife sit? Is she, is she uh, like, let you do your thing? And, and like, that's her way of supporting you. Is like, I'm not going to get in the way. Or she's like, I'm here for you, babe. Whatever you need. Yeah. Wow. That no one's ever asked me that before. Um, I'm gonna try to speak as generally as possible because I don't want to speak for her and misrepresent <laughs> her. Um, but um, I think she was always supportive. Of uh, obviously always supportive. Um, you know, there's stuff which you go through that. That's why the community is ultimately the kind of the first go-to right because there's stuff you go through which people can't understand unless they've done it so she obviously understands to a point right because i can tell her about it she's seen it with her own eyes but unless you go through it it's it's a different matter um for example it's easy to say out as outsider like ignore the haters you know but when people coming after you it's completely a different situation and and uh, on a small tangent, like learning to actually ignore criticism or process criticism is actually a skill of mental toughness that you have to acquire. And you can't just say, ignore the haters. That's not the way you acquire this skill. Yeah. That's it, that, uh, ignore the haters is an Instagram post. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of toughness is acknowledging what, what is what is adversity to you instead of just pretending like it's not there. So, and that's something which I have been building and I've gotten really good at. And I think is a skill that we all need, whether you're a performer or not, because the internet is a chaotic place, you know? Uh, and I don't think you should just go on it with an open mind and let all this poison into your head. So, um, there was, there was a great line in your Netflix special, wasn't there? There was something that, uh, it's kind of imagine in like 20 years, we're going to look back at the internet and say, can't believe yeah. we let pregnant women use the internet. Yeah. I can't believe that pregnant people, we can't believe we put kids on it. What, what, what were we thinking? Um, <laughs> so, um, uh, that's one, that's a slight tangent, but, um, that's, that's all to say that they can, they can understand, but only to a point, but, always supportive you know my um my my wife was always supportive of it and she um she's she's my first kind of you know my first sounding board for jokes my first sounding board for problems and she would come to shows and but and we have that thing where like um i don't expect her to come to every show because i'm a professional you know like i do it five six times a night 
every single night. Like she's not going to run around New York City at night with me every single night, you know? And I think that's also what the problem you're alluding to is that like a lot of the times you're in this grind and you just want to be good at it, right? Whether it's sports or it's the military or whatever skill. And when you're in the grind, like, you know, you and you just want to get good, there's a lot of sacrifice that comes with trying to get good at something. And I think comedy is a very demanding mistress. I think with, with comedies, I can, I, I think every skill, but I can only speak about comedy from experience is that you can't, you know, you, you better be prepared to give everything to it because um, when you're doing shows at the start, there's no money and also you're doing it at night. So, and then most likely you'll be unemployed in the day or you'll be working in the day, but either way you won't, you won't, see, you won't see your friends in the day because they'll be working normal jobs. Then at night when they're free, you'll be working, right? So you're never going to see them. You're, and, and then guess what? If you get really good at it, you're going to start touring on weekends. So you'll be out of town. So you're going to miss weddings, birthdays, funerals, um, graduations. You're going to miss a ton of stuff, you know, and, are you, how much do you want it? You know, are you willing to do that? And, and again, I think sacrifice is a very easy thing to say, but it's a very hard thing to actually do. And I can, you give that up? And for me, my personality is I easily can give that up. I don't care about any of that. <laughs> so, so for me, my personality was just like, yeah, I, I just want to get good at this thing. And, and, you know, having a partner that's supportive is a huge part of that because they get the grind and what it takes and, and they understand, um, uh, that mindset of I'm just grind, you know, I don't, I don't care about restaurants or whatever. Like I, I actually, I'm a foodie. I love restaurants, but I don't care about like running around. I care more about this, you know? Yeah. And, and she, it, thankfully she understands that, you know, and she was always very supportive and, um, uh, yeah, it's where, it's where rubber meets the road of, of, you know, it, it's all well and good to say, uh, yeah, uh, um, balance in the relationship, but the truth is, she oftentimes there is no balance. A lot of the times, oftentimes I'm I'm probably taking more than I'm giving just because I'm busy doing this crazy thing, right? And that's, um, no, that's not an uncommon experience for definitely the the pro athletes, elite surgeons, for musicians, for comedians, for military operators. Like there is when people are trying to do something unusual, and mm -hmm. by definition, like trying to be really good at something is unusual that yeah, yeah. that often will mean that there's uh, i often will say that anything good you're trying to do is going to come with discomfort that not only means like you bombing on stage it also means like there's this shit that i have to deal with away from my job yeah that is also hard because i'm trying to be really good at this hard thing yeah absolutely and that there's like there's layers and ripple effects to that we yeah, could go yeah. on about that forever. Yeah, for, for sure. And I just want to say, you know, she was always very supportive and, and uh, she's a killer in her own right. You know, she's a uh, Melbourne Law School. She graduated Masters of Law, NYU, and she passed the bar, New York bar, her first try. You know, she Man. gave up. She gave up. Um, she was working a law firm in Australia and she quit that job to come to New York with me, you know, and then she she didn't get a job just so she could travel with me. So we could deal. That's how we dealt with the relationship was when I'm on the road or I'm, I'm shooting a movie, she would, she would travel with me, you know, so she gave up that stuff to do it. So yeah, that's, that's huge sacrifice there as well. So really, um, yeah, she was, you know, she's definitely my psychological rock and that's because of her sacrifice as well. So yeah, there's that aspect of it. You know, I, I was very lucky to find someone who's willing to give up that much. Very cool, man. Very cool. Um, I often will finish with this, very broad question. You can take it wherever you, wherever you want to go. Um, what's, what's next for you? Like you've, you've conquered the world almost. Well, I don't know about that. I'm still, well, I'm still learning a lot. I'm still, for, I'm still trying to get better at this. From, from University of Melbourne? You've done yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Way to have low standards, Patty. Um, <laughs> I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I reached a point. There was a point in New York City. I was doing shows. Um, I remember I was one about a year, a year in to New York, I, I got passed at the cellar. So I was performing there. That was like my dream venue to perform at. And there was a moment on stage where I was 100% in the moment. And I was like, man, this is what it's about. It's just being on this comedy cellar stage in this small room, doing jokes, making people laugh. 
you know, and um, just getting back to that, you know, that pure creation. So for me, I just want to make, I just want to make dope shit. Uh, quoting Kanye West, like I just want to make, I just want to tell fun stories and get better at comedy and and um, uh, you know, my style is, I, I'm lucky that I put my, I, I put stuff out there and whoever likes it likes it. And if you don't like it, that's cool too. You know, like that, that's my style of dealing with it. I'm, I'm never trying to pander for more audiences. You know, I'm, I've always been a guy who, um, uh, kind of puts the comedy out there and hope, and I've been lucky that people get behind it a little bit, I guess, you know, I managed to build a little, little bit of following so I can make a living from this. But, um, yeah, that's, that's all it is for me. It's just the, what I want is I just want to make the next great joke. That's all. Yeah. That's the only thing I want to do. You want to keep getting better. Yeah, what's that next best joke? What's the next killer joke that I can I can I can write? That's 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 the joy of it, man. That's the only joy of it, you know. Because if you're doing cool. it for money, if you're doing it for money or fame, like honestly, that uh, you're never gonna have enough money, and you're never gonna be famous enough, you know. Like we're talking right now, and you know, I whatever I, I got to be in a really fun movie that was popular and um, on the Daily Show, but. Dude, you did, like you don't know who I am. You know what I mean? Like what? It, but and that doesn't matter. Like it doesn't yeah. to me. That doesn't matter. The profile it helps me because it helps me make a living. But ultimately, for me, it's the it's the next joke. What's the next funny joke? You know, that's that's yeah, that's the obsession. Yeah, yeah. If you were interviewing yourself on a podcast that wasn't a parody, what would you ask yourself? What What do you think is is interesting about you that not many people Dude, talk about? I don't think anything's interesting about me. I got, I, I, honestly, I don't think anything's interesting about me that hasn't really been asked like 50 times. I, although I will say that I'm not just saying, I'm not just trying to pander. Like this was probably one of the more interesting, fun podcasts I've done because of the approach of it. You know, the, um, um, specifically the mental aspects of performing in stressful situations, which I think is, not discussed enough with enough with enough nuance you know so yeah everything yeah. you asked me i probably would would want to ask myself all right I, well cool appreciate yeah, it yeah, yeah yeah well you can email me if you if you think of any down the track but yeah. for now man we'll wrap that up I, I really appreciate it ronnie i thank you very much for your time for anyone who wants to see uh, i know that i mentioned at the start of the show your your netflix special which came out late last year yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Asian comedian destroys America. You can watch it on Netflix. Yeah, just, as long, that's in, that's in the past. Like, what's coming up? What, what is there oh, anything that, that you, people want, might want to? Yeah, I don't know if you, I don't know if you know this, but we're in the middle of a pandemic, and um, there's not a lot of <laughs> stuff coming out. So, uh, I was, I was doing a live tour this year that I postponed to next year. So, mm -hmm. come to my live show. I'm touring America in uh, 21, hopefully. 21, hopefully, exactly. So, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, mm -hmm. Which is another aspect of mental toughness is your whole career and the only joy in your life being uh ended let's talk about <laughs> the mental toughness to deal with that but uh um, how are you handling that while you're sitting uh, around you're, you're in uh, sydney you're going to the beach i guess i'm okay i'm okay not thinking about it thanks for bringing it up um yeah i i yeah i don't know like it's that's a whole other man that's another, that's another episode altogether yeah 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 come to the live show if possible otherwise you know what that the just, just take care of yourselves. That's the only thing I want to tell people out there. Just take care of yourselves. Hope your family and uh, is healthy and safe. And um, thanks for listening to this. If you managed to listen to the end, <laughs> appreciate it, Ronnie. Thanks very much, man. Go and enjoy Sydney for me. And, All right, uh, thanks, man. So, cheers, buddy. Thanks, man. Excellent, with the best in Simply impressive. No worrying.